0: Well welcome everyone, and thank you all for being here. Um, this is the Amazon uh, panel sponsored by um, Global Ops Robotics um, organization. For, you, for those of you that are not aware, so Amazon has 16 leadership principles. There they are here. And uh, these leadership principles pretty much guide Amazon's employees um, in every facet of what we do from making business decisions, business strategies, talent reviews, um, or interview questions, all come from these 16. And today we're gonna dive into one of them, Invent and Simplify. And we have five very amazing, brilliant directors and uh, senior principal technologists here to talk about how they uh, model this leadership principle in their organization and throughout their organization. So, we'll start to my right, <laughs> Sorry, to, to my uh, left, and for the first question, can you talk a little bit about your role in the company, and what does Invent and Simplify look like in your role specifically, and then why do you think it's important?
1: Uh, so I'm Giovanna Taylor-Thiebert, I go by Joe, how are you all doing? Okay, we're going to need some energy this afternoon, I know you <laughs> ate, but it's all good. Uh, so. Uh, I am one of the directors within Global Robotics. I lead grocery automation. And so the packages are Amazon Fresh, things that you order and click, and it's there later that day. Our team does a lot of the autonomy behind the scenes for that. And so when I think about invent and simplify, there's a lot in that space for us to understand something that wasn't there before. So if you think about, I'll just say pre-pandemic, we had some delivery technology, but it wasn't um, as fast and it wasn't the same day. Uh, I think we all clicked on the app and it was like, oh, wait a minute, it's going to take, I got to place an earlier order uh, for it to get there later on that week. And so we got it down into Windows that fit within within six hours, four hours, two hours span for you to get your products or produce, protein, whatever it might be delivered to your door. Um, the simplification is, you know, you think about multiple apps, if we can get it into one. Um, so that way, from a customer's perspective, we got the feedback that we want to have that experience uh, actually be defined better. So that's why I think Invent and Simplify is, is important.
2: All right. Um, my name is Brian Lyles. I am a senior principal engineer in Amazon Web Services, and I work in a group called S3. And first of all, has anyone heard of S3? All right. Um, it's- probably one of the largest stores of data on the internet. And, when I'm, not, and I'm not actually exaggerating when I say that. It's, it's very large. It's Amazon's first web service. So um, S3 is Amazon's first web services. And what do I do in this group a lot? Um, I'm actually, my job is to literally invent and simplify. My role is to go across our 1,000 plus engineers and figure out how we can, instead of doing X, how can we do 2x? How can we do 10x? And in some cases, how can we do 100x? So what does invent and simplify mean to me? It means that me, one engineer, um, needs. I need to create mechanisms, is a word that we use at Amazon, just things. We need to create ways of doing things that allow one, 10, 1,000 engineers to be you know, one, 10, 1,000 times better than they are. And the only way you can do this is if you start simple. And then build on the simplicity over time. You can never throw out a whole bunch of um, complexity at once.
3: Good evening, everyone, or good afternoon, everyone. I'm Tia White. I'm a general manager in Amazon Web Services. I lead Martech and AdTech focused on ML and AI transformation. In my role, I'm accountable for engineering, product, go-to-market, marketing, and sales. So basically, I build services that my team takes to market to generate revenue and delight our customers. Um, Part of my portfolio, I have services that do personalization or recommendation engines. If you think about the cookie list world, in 2024, cookies will be deprecated by iOS and Microsoft and Google and these other companies. And so also, how do you enable advertisers to still reach their customers in a proactive manner and leveraging privacy-preserving machine learning and artificial intelligence techniques? So that's a little bit about my um, scope. If I think about Invent and Simplify, it's ingrained in everything we do at Amazon AWS. Basically, I build services that are used by builders, so engineers that know nothing about artificial intelligence or machine learning. And basically, I have to build something that works and is easy to use, and they don't need to know the science behind it, but they can configure and integrate into their ecosystem to personalize a solution. If you've ever used the Calm app, or CNN, or Discovery Plus, or Equinox, Amazon Personalize, which is my largest service, powers the recommendation to tailor fit you before you ask the app or interact with the app so it serves content and customizes the home page or personalized message notifications to you. And in order to do that, again, we have to make sure people that don't have a deep science expertise and have an engineering discipline, can leverage it, um, finesse it basically, and make it work in their ecosystem to reach their end user or their customer.
4: All right. Good afternoon, I'm, uh, I'm Josh Thomas. I'm the regional director for Sub Same Day Operations. Uh, so in my role, I, uh, I run the fulfillment centers for uh, North America. Um, Sub-Same Day, uh, I was just telling Tia, Sub-Same Day is the, the business where, uh, actually on the other side of Joe's business, where she's in the in grocery space, I'm in the, uh, the non-perishable items. So uh, our mission a couple years ago when we piloted the program was how can we get the top 135,000 uh, unique items from Amazon delivered uh, within hours to your doorstep. And so uh, we launched this program uh, a couple years ago and then... You know, scaled it from three you know pilot sites across the across the uh, United States uh, into now we're over 40 um, as of today. So um, when I think about uh, invent and simplify specifically in the operation space, one of my biggest challenges uh, is exactly, like how do you scale really, really fast and launch a bunch of buildings? We have over uh, 500 uh, managers and 20,000 associates. And so in my business, when change comes and, and you know, new inventions come out, I always think as the operator, all right, I gotta train 500 people how to do this new tool. Uh, and it's gonna be, I gotta do it fast, because Amazon, we move. Uh, and so from, a, from an invention, some of those things that I, that I think about that come to mind are, one, the business itself. So uh, from a pilot, an SSD, we started and we, we literally took the best technology from three different Amazon business units. Uh, so the Amazon Robotics, we, we're a mini uh, robotic fulfillment center combined with, uh, um, uh, we have a non sort so like a lot of our larger items are you know, dog food and toilet paper, whatever those top, I need it now, ASINs are, or products are, uh, combined with uh, our Amazon, our AMZL business, which is, we have our drivers excuse. Me, we have our drivers coming to uh, like literally to our back door, loading up their cars and delivering to your doorstep within hours. And so that in itself is taking different business units, and what do we like about each one and then inventing a new business that combines all of those. And so uh, it's the spirit of, of both invent and simplify uh, to, to deliver to our, our customers really, really fast.. Yes.
5: Mm-hmm. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Chris Masoki. Uh, it's interesting, uh, Josh. We sat together, and I'm actually you're my customer as well. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Small world. But welcome. How many members here? Are, oh, at least are members of Prime, Amazon Prime. Well, thank you. So, thank you very much. My role. Uh, I'm a director in uh, global robotics. I'm a director of the uh, design services of uh, robotics delivery systems. My job is to ensure that Joshua here fulfills your promise. That's pretty much it. And so what do I do? I make sure that all the robots and fulfillment technologies that are working in his fulfillment center work as performed they are reliable and are available 100% of the time so that you can then get your order that you Amazon promised you. So in the whole network, it's, it's all about my technologies and the robots that enable Josh to be successful to deliver. So I'm, uh, that's why I really thank you for uh, sitting right next hey, to me. <laughs> I, I was
4: about to give you a round of applause. <laughs>
5: <laughs> That's in, so let's talk about the uh, invention and uh, simplification here. What it really means to me, it really starts with the the customer, you, the customer, and Joshua, the customer, and thinking about all the all the people that touch that product or service throughout the product lifecycle, simplifying everything that they do. I mean, think about it. Um the, the labor markets become really tight so if I design something that is difficult to maintain then that's going to shut down his operation and that's going to affect you your ability to receive the product so I have to think about simplifying that think about so that the downtime when the equipment is down is instant I think about it in terms of seconds because the promise that we made to you when you went online and ordered, that's guaranteed to you. Mm-hmm. So thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. thank you, everyone. So my next question for you is, how do you approach innovation? And can you talk a little bit about that? You know, Brian, you started off saying that you start simplistic, um, and then you worked more to get more complex. Can you expand on that a little bit?
2: Yes, actually. Um, how do we approach problems? Uh, Amazon. It's interesting, Amazon is a very opinionated company whenever it comes to how it approaches problems. But actually there's lessons that I took even before I was at Amazon, and now I get to apply them here. One of the biggest things for Amazon is this idea of working backwards. A lot of times we start from step one, and we proceed to step whatever. We don't even know where we're gonna end. And then when we get tired or we think we have success, we say, we made it. But Amazon actually champions this other idea. Um, Think about your customer. Well, oh, you don't know who your customer is? All right, go find your customer. It could be someone who's paying you money. It could be someone who's using your service internally, or it could just be a coworker. Understand what makes them happy, what satisfies them. And then what you do is you work backwards from there all the way down to where you can start. So how do you know where you can start? Well, you have everything that you need. And if you take this idea of working backwards, You can apply it to literally anything, and what you find out at the end is that you are building solutions that have way less waste because guess what? You knew where you were going to end up because you started there, unlike the unbounded problem of going the other way where I don't know where I'm going to end. So um, just to, to wrap this piece up, it's like, so how do I approach innovation? So, um, my role, and actually it's different, I'm the only engineer up here, technically. I don't, you know, there's definitely some I engineering. I used to be an engineer. There, see, I knew I was gonna say this. <laughs> so Always I'm the only one with an engineering title still. <laughs> um, so, um, so really, so whenever I um, approach innovation and, and I support, when I was talking earlier, I do support 1,000 engineers who I don't even, I don't know them all, because how can you know a 1,000 people? So, how do I approach it? Well, first thing that I do, and um, um, Amazon has this thing called a PR FAQ, which is basically a press release with a bunch of questions at the end. So write the press release first, and then deliver that. Um, we actually do something else. We actually spend a lot of time defining what a problem is, and you're thinking, why would you define what a problem is? Well, you know what? If you go solve something, and you notice I said something, how do you know where you're going to end up? When we spend so much time thinking, what's the problem? What are the criteria for success? What are the elephants in the room? What should I not think about? And whenever you think that way, now you're starting with a proper problem, and now all the next steps, they just fall in line rather than needing so many smart people with a lot of opinions. Everyone knows where they fit in.
0: Thank you. Anybody else want to expand on?
5: Touching a lot of uh, white (laughs) Spaniard, I I would probably just say that from my, from my lenses, it all starts with the customers as, as, as noted previously. And then recognizing that I'm, I'm actually inventing for the customer. I'm inventing for the customer, and understanding what their pain points are, and what's going to actually simplify their lifestyle in using this respective product or service. Having gone through that, then I asked myself, What technologies would make this a reality? And then, having gone through that next layer, understand are there any physics constraints, laws of physics, that can actually enable me to fulfill this? And if there are constraints there, can I go to a lab and actually increase my confidence by learning from the prototyping or uh, simulation that will actually Make the customer utilization of this product really fulfilling. That's that's about kind of my approach that I would add. But I mean most of the items mentioned by Brian are pretty big. Um that's that's all I have.
0: Anyone else want to want to expand?
1: I think the only piece I'd add since I got called out, I'm not an engineer anymore. <laughs> 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 Always will be Brian. No. Um when it comes to innovation, I have a chance to not only think about it from an aspect for myself, but how am I leading the team through that? Several of us, even in, in Brian's face, he's he's influencing, mm-hmm. and so when we think about that strategy space of okay, in our fulfillment centers or warehouses, there may be something that doesn't exist, but as customers, that's a market that we want to go after. Right. And so for us to make sure we understand as leaders, OK, what's our North Star? What are we saying the problem set is and how do we lead the teams through the vision of that space? That's one aspect. And then the next space is, OK, how do you how do you lay out some strategic uh, task that you have for that year or three to five years? And that's where um, you continue to work backwards in how do I get into that market? How do I make sure that I'll have a return on that investment as well? So innovation is not just the tangible product itself, but it's
0: about how does it influence the business as well. So as engineers at heart, we always want to continually improve. We want to make it better. We want to make it faster. We want to make it cheaper. How do you know when it's good enough?
3: So I can start, and I like to tell stories because I think they resonate with people. So yesterday I was having a meeting um, and reading a mini PRFAQ for something in recommendation engines called related items. So related items is a use case in which you go and you say as a customer, because Susie clicked on this, Susie will likely like this. Or there's multi-facets within this use case. Susie clicked on this, but because this is super popular, I also want to serve this content so Susie may be more prone to interact with this. It was just launched a day ago. Netflix does it notoriously well, if you think about video on demand. And within the personalized service, we have a recipe that, which is nothing more than an algorithm, a deep learning algorithm, that we then used to build um, a model that the customers could do feature in- data ingestion, feature engineering, train the model on their data sets, and then serve the model for inference or output. And um, the head of machine learning engineering for my team came to me and I. the problem is that one sample of the recipe does not account for cold start or cold user problems, which means there's no interaction history for an item. The other flavor is, We want to serve up the most popular item, so Susie likes the adjacent content that's also popular. And so we basically uh, tried to revamp this last year, and it still has not met our customer needs. And I paused the conversation yesterday, and I said, I think you all are answering the wrong question in this doc. First, who is your customer? Because you want customers to do uh, popularity discount bias. You want customers to do hyperparameter optimization. If you don't know machine learning, half of you wouldn't even know what that, what that means, right? And I said to them, I said, our, our persona of our customer is an engineer, not a scientist, and we have lost sight of that. So instead of trying to have what we think is simple with one recipe or model to fix this ginormous use case, why don't we dissect related items, right? Similar items, cold start problems, et cetera, and then why don't we say for that we have a simple algorithm, but the way we build the model to solve each one varies. So we're still simplifying on my engineer side of the house. So we are re- reusing what we have built, but we are making it easier for our customers. And to that point of how do you know when good is good enough, when my customers are no longer putting in tickets, I don't know how to use this when my time to value, which means my customers can use Personalize onboard and deploy something in weeks versus months. So there's different KPIs or key performance indicators I use to know, as well as the voice of the customer, that we have now met their needs. Oftentimes, people build something and think customers will come. I was an AWS customer for, I don't know, six or seven years before I joined the company, as well as a GCP customer. And one of the things that we do notoriously well is obsess over our customer and invent a simplified. We know when enough is enough. We don't want to build something to be the best in the market. We want to do enough to delight our customers. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: No, well said. If if you notice, there is a common theme about all of us. It's about the customer obsession. And um, at Amazon, good is measured by the customer. Um, The customer determines really what's good at the end of the day, but there's a couple of things that I want you to think about as we go through this. It's, it's one is, first, is the product meeting this performance as designed, second, is it available for the customer to use whenever they want to use it, and then is it reliable? So that cycle never ends because you always want to come back and, and ask the customer, is this functioning as intended? Are there any pain points that I need to be reinventing to improve your ability to use this product? And so that whole process is is, is continuous. It's re, it keeps going because there are always a few things that were not thought through in the whole design evolution and there are discoveries when the customer starts using the product. And so those discoveries, good or bad, is data or requirements back to us to go rethink Another version that actually makes it better for use with simplification for the customer.
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that real quick. I, I do appreciate. So the theme is definitely the customer. Um, <clears throat> when is good, good enough? I like also like to tell stories. Uh, and so in our in our business, when I was reading our PR FAQ, uh, and we wanted to deliver within, uh, it used to be same day. So. If it's in the morning and you get it at night, that's great. Even when reading that, it was like, this is—it's so pie in the sky. Like, how in the world are you gonna get <laughs> this stuff to the to to our customers in within 24 hours? Uh, and then we did it, and we're like, oh well, can we do it in five hours? Uh, and then we did it, and now we're like, all right, well, can we? And so the you. It does, when it's good, good enough. It is definitely based off the customer, but sometimes the customer is delighted and they didn't even know they wanted that, right? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about, uh, Apple did it so well. Like, I was one of the first, uh, not first buyers, but I was one of the first people with the iPhone in my circle. And I'm like, this thing is amazing. It's got a touch screen. Everybody's like, I got, you, can, you need buttons. You gotta have a phone <laughs> with buttons. Otherwise, you know, it's not gonna work. Uh, and so, like, sometimes, it's, so it is the customer, but then customers sometimes don't even know what they want, right? And that makes, the, that makes it way more challenging when you gotta know, like, all right, well, when do I stop? Uh, and then the, the other side of that coin is say you have hit the customer demand. Uh, in my business, you know, the customer is the person who buys it, right? Buys the product and they, they get their shipment on time. And then we hit this you know less than five hours click to delivery and so we check that box but how do we do it and so now i'm in a phase of where we were piling in a business we rolled it out now we have over 40 of them now we're changing our customer to the managers and the associates and so it just starts the whole process of innovation over how can i make their job a lot easier faster safer um and still not you know, uh, jeopardize my other customer, the end customer, uh, which we're getting that super fast uh, uh, delivery to. And so we'll figure that out, and then we'll probably come back to the other customer and say, "All right, well, let's get it to them a little bit faster."
2: All right. Actually, I'm, I'm going to go in on this one too, mm-hmm. and I'm going to. I think I had to drive all the way down here from uh, other side of Prince George's County today, so um, I got to share something to make it feel like it was really worth it. And for those of y'all. <laughs> who were um, taking notes, I actually have something for you. It's like, how do you approach innovation? Better yet, how do you solve any problem where you have a group of people? And so what happens is, in the general case, um, gentlemen here in the front row, um, I need you to go build me X widgets. It doesn't really matter. What you're going to do is you're probably going to think about, well, what do I need to do? And I'm actually going to challenge that because we we tend to think, what do we need to do? Um, But we forget two other things. We forget how we can do these things, and the most important thing, someone can say it out loud, what's the last thing? Why we are doing this? And the problem is is that when we approach problems, a lot of times we focus on the what. We forget about the how, and we definitely don't think about why because why is the most important thing. So what I've done here is I, um, I work with a lot of junior engineers or more junior engineers in some cases. And so I teach them how to solve problems. What do you do? You start with the why. Why are we doing this? Why are we here today? Because we want to network. We want to find jobs. We want to make this guy named Brian Lyles because we heard he's pretty great. It's great that you want to do this. And then you think about the how. Well, the how is well. Um, maybe you're already you traveled from far, like some of my coworkers have. They've gotten on planes and they got here. So this is how they arrived. Or I drove in a car today. And then we think about what you, the audience, you're going to consume. And you know, I'm just going to talk at you. But notice that I can approach any problem with the why and how and the what. Um, there's something. There's a there's a a famous um, I might maybe a psychologist. He's called Simon Sinek. He has Simon Sinek's Golden Circle. This is exactly what he's talking about. But let me, tell, let me expand on this more, and let me tell you how to solve any problem, whether you're in school or you're at the work or you're at home. So we're going to expand why, how, and what into something even bigger. So the first thing is that you need to have a vision. You need to know where you want to go. So for example, let's say we want to go on vacation. So what are you going to do? Let's go pack. Well, hold on. A vision for our vacation is we want to go somewhere warm. Maybe we'll go to Hawaii, or maybe we'll go to Florida or go down to the Caribbean. So that's the first thing. And then you want to think is now when you have um, your why or your vision, you want to have some goals. Well, when we're on, when we're on our vacation, we want to uh, maybe want to go do some, um, um, some water sports. Maybe we want to go to some clubs or something. So now you have things that you want to do, and you can actually translate this into your job. Now you need strategies. And what are strategies? Strategies are just ways that you're going to accomplish these things. And then finally, you need Tactics. And if you go vision, goals, strategy, tactics, and you apply this to everything that you do, now solving problems becomes very simple because you have a four-step way to solve any problem. No problem becomes, oh, I can't do this. And when, if you start doing this, what you'll find is that problems don't become problems, are, are, are not actual problems anymore. They're just things you haven't done yet. And now that you have this one, two, three, four step that you can work either forward or backwards from, everything becomes easier. And when everything becomes easier, your job and your life and your vacations become easier. And that's when um, you start getting real enjoyment out of what you're doing.
0: My next question is, is there a time when simplification is better than innovation or invention?
4: I can take this one. Um, So that was was an interesting question because in my space, when I think about uh, innovation, it's generally to simplify stuff, right like you're gonna come up with a new widget and it should make somebody's life uh easier more efficient safer uh and so those those really do tie on hand in hand uh but then that, I, the the spirit of the question like I do understand that there are some times where uh, and I'm thinking about a very recent program uh which hasn't rolled out yet, but it was uh. It's a new software that we're gonna that we're gonna come up with, and the customers, and this is why I keep on we keep on going back to what does the customer want? Well, I'm gonna define the customer as the the area manager, the person that runs the day-to-day business, and they have to manage flow, and you know, hey, I need you know two pickers over here because we just had a bunch of customer orders come in, we gotta pick those out, get them out on time. Well, there that's a very complicated, and you gotta make a lot of decisions, um, and so right now the customer they. Are saying, hey, it would be really cool if we just had this one number on the screen that we can see. And so as it comes in, it gives us like some kind of and-on, some kind of alert to say, oh, I better go move somebody before, you know, if you don't do it now, in an hour from now, you'll have a pile of you know packages or something. You'll just mess up your flow. Uh, And so that's that's been the customer's ask, like consistently. What's actually being presented is like Throw away this entire system and we're going to give you this whole brand new system. Well, I'm, you know, I got to teach 700 people how to do this over again, right? And so it's like, that's a scenario where I would prefer as the customer to say, hey, just, just add this one little thing and this it's perfect. Then we, we love it. Uh, versus throw the whole project away and I'm going to give you this new thing and there's going to be a learning curve. And so simplification uh, or so when is... Uh, You know, when is simplification better than uh, innovation? I would say it's when uh, the barriers to the the learning curve isn't as great. And sometimes there's another program that I'm thinking, there is a ton of stuff. There's so much wrong with it, we're not using it. That one I'm okay with. Invent a new one, we'll throw that thing away, and we'll roll out this new one because it's, you know, the learning curve is not so steep. Uh, And so that that would be from a, a customer operations perspective.
3: I shared earlier that we're going to this space where cookies are no longer a thing. Think about when you launch an app, and it asks, do you want to enable? Are you okay with us tracking everything you do on the site, or not? Um, The the big piece for that is really trying to preserve privacy. What you've done, what you like, who you are, your personal identification, information, all of that, so people can't exploit it for, or companies can't exploit it for their good. So one of my um, new services, that will launch this year, and I'm being a little coy about it just because we can't pre-disclose. Mm-hmm. Similar to what you were sharing, your <laughs> your program pre things before it goes to market. It's exciting, huh? but we, yes, it is. <laughs> but we will do. Uh, we will launch it, reinvent this year. It's um, a mathematically backed technique that companies can use to collaborate data, so bring two data sets together while preserving the privacy and not sharing any of the PII and allowing them to generate a statistically sound query. So basically, I am company X, Josh is company Y, we want to share data because we believe our data together is more powerful, I don't want Josh to see my direct details of my users underlying information and vice versa, I run a query, a count, a sum, or whatever, and it spits out a number, it's still close enough to the actual thing, but it preserves the privacy Mm -hmm. underneath. That's how I, that's what I'm going to take to market, but I'm not telling you how I'm going to take take it to market. The beauty of it is it's very complex behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Very complex how we're doing it, right? But it's going to be a fully managed service that's so easy for customers to toggle and make uh, selections that it, you don't have to be a privacy preserving expert. In that case, Behind the scenes, there are a multitude of techniques we could have used, the scientists could have used to build this. We chose one that would guarantee accuracy while preserving the uh, precious data. That would be easy, so that simplification piece, and that was key here, that simplification piece would be easy enough that you did not have to be a scientist or a privacy-preserving expert, and you could use it. It also needed to be easy enough when we go into, say, the HIPAA medical space or the SOX or whatever space in the financial industry that regulators could also trust it and understand it, even if they're not experts, when they're doing their audits, second line, third line, they're doing their audits. And so in that, that case, simplification was very important. The, complex, the problem was highly complex, similar to what Brian was talking about. It wasn't an easy problem, and I would argue maybe you needed more steps, maybe the five whys on, on why we're really doing this to get down to how we build this thing. But at the end of the day, we had multiple options behind the scenes in which we could deliver this. We chose a... Probably not the, the most innovative option, but it still would meet the bar, exceed the bar, and it allowed us to simplify the experience. And so we had to put more bias into the simplification because the problem was very complex.
0: Thank you. I'm just so happy to hear that cookies are going away. (laughs) I hate answering that question (laughs) or going in and and deleting. Yes. Uh, My next question, what challenges do you face when attempting to innovate versus invent? For example, across functions, demographic, regions, can you talk about those challenges?
2: Oh my, that's a that's a big question. It's like, what challenges do you face when trying to innovate versus event? I mean, that's literally why we go to work. But yeah, you know, really, what's the hardest part of my job? Hardest part of my job is um, at a certain level of seniority. Um, I want to prepare you all for this. When you start off with your job, and your first job, you have someone who's working with you, telling you how to do it, probably watching you the entire way, and then expecting expecting inspecting your output. And then as you grow in seniority, um, what will happen is someone will say, well, I need this done. And whenever you're done, come show me what, you're ha- what happens. And then finally, as you get even more senior, or, or next steps, not even finally, you'll get, um, well, just tell me what you've done. They won't tell you what to do anymore. And then finally, you reach the high level of, so what do you do here again? Because um, everything that you've done actually makes things better. People don't even see what you do. And this is actually the best place if you're actually optimizing your career, not as a manager. See, I don't manage people so I can do this. My job is to be as invisible as possible because um, if, if I become the, um, the linchpin for everything happening, everything happens at the power and speed of me. And um, I work on the East Coast, and we are a worldwide business. So you pretty much got me from 8 to 5 on a good day. Um, So out of those hours, you won't get me. So what challenges do you face? Well, scaling yourself. So you need to figure out ways to scale yourself. So whether instead of telling people to do things, you write them down. Um, Another thing is that you train those around you. And I'll tell people this all the time. I want you to succeed. I want everyone in this room to succeed. As a matter of fact, just because I told you, any success that you have and I can actually figure out who you are, I'll take credit for it because I have enabled you to succeed. And you know, this is a tiny little bit of credit. I'm not saying that I invented anything (laughs) that you did. But really, I was a part of the success story that made or the success criteria that made you succeed. And that's really what it comes down to. This is the biggest challenge. It's like, how do we touch the most things with the least amount of effort? And this is why I like to come do panels like this and speak at other conferences. Is because I can share. First of all, hopefully you get that I really like what I do, um, I, and then you can see that someone is out there doing work. Um, is a is a high level um, black engineer at a huge, you know, million person plus company. And I'm I'm just going to say this. Um, there's four black um, director-level engineers at Amazon slash AWS. Half of them are at this conference. And when people come out and say, who are your mentors? I'm like, that guy I saw in the mirror this morning, me? Um, so these are the challenges that I have. And so how do I do this? Well, um, another thing you can do is be that person you want to be. If You look around and you're like, I wish I could find someone who was doing great at this thing. Well, that's you. Go ahead and do it. And you might not get it today, you might not get it next week, but always working towards getting there. And just to end this, um, what other challenges do we face? Um, you can't do everything. Yeah. And I know some of us are really busy bodies, and you know, especially during the pandemic, people are like your side hustles, your side hustles, you gotta have your side hustles. I can't side hustle. I have two children who are pretty much autonomous. One doesn't even live with me because she's old and, and done with college. Um, I have no time. When I get done with work, I'm just tired. Right. So really, instead of, um, so I, I understand people want to diversify. You diversify your investments. Don't diversify where your money is coming from, your main source. Focus on this. And if you're not um, in a position or in a place where you can actually um, really win, well, now you need to, your job is to actually figure out how to change that. Because if your job, you're sitting at your job, and you're like, well, they're not giving me a raise. Well, guess what I'm going to tell you to do? Go find a new one.
0: Yeah.
2: And am I saying quit? Because, you know, we're responsible. We can't just quit our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Um, I'm a big hip-hop fan, and um, there's, there was a, a, a line by Jay-Z, and he's like, no, don't do that. Hope did that. Don't quit your job with no other job. Brian did that many times. Um, but really, what you're doing is investing yourself. Invest in making sure that whenever you come into the room, don't say you're the smartest you, know, you want to learn, but attempt to be the smartest so you're leveling up the room. And then at the end of the day, realize that um, you are working for you and your family. That's it. And your retirement, if you live that long, and we all hope you live that long. And if you focus on those things, um, that is actually what moves you forward. And I probably diverge, but I had a lot to say. <laughs>
3: I appreciate that, I appreciate that. I am gonna just do a small pivot and I'll keep it quick because I know others wanna answer this question and this is no offense to anybody who doesn't identify this way. But you look up here, you see us. To Brian's point, Amazon is over a million people. There, we are probably the only, the first in our distinct areas at work to do what we're doing. So now let's talk about you all. Whether again you're middle year, middle level career, you're in just graduating college, entry level, whatever it is, innovating in a large enterprise company when you look like us, sometimes hard. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out who your allies are. Yeah. You have to make sure what you're bringing forward is airtight, and you have to figure out who has the power and who's going to back you. And when they say that's dope, that's great, that's wonderful, it makes your journey that much easier. Say, yeah, we can talk about the processes you do, or we could talk about how you go about it and what you need, but let's just have real talk. You need to make sure you understand the company culture that you're going into. Again, who's your allies? Who's going to have your back? Who's going to pound the table when you're not there? Who has the power? What type of power they have? And how you leverage it and unintentionally exploit it, and how you leverage that to make sure your innovation, your voice, your ideas are heard, and you're not hit with a million no's and constraints in your journey to transform and change is that much easier. So just make sure you take the time to understand that at the same time you're using your intellectual property to invent and be the first to do so many things you'll go on to do, but you gotta understand that aspect. And it took me probably two or three years in my corporate career and I was like, I'm the one coming up with the ideas, but then my white male counterpart comes up with this idea and it's so much easier, but mine was better. Why is this so challenging and why am I exhausted? So you gotta understand the game.
5: Yeah, that that was awesome. Um, I I gotta share s- s- from another lenses okay. Um, the network is very important, right? So Joe over there and Stephanie are part of my network, and now Joshua, you're gonna become part of my network too because <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> and, and 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 I mean this. And you know, if you think about it, I, I played a lot of team sports uh, mm-hmm. as a kid. And uh, I never played individual sports, so I didn't know how to win as an individual. But I know how to win when we have a team that recognizes the problem that needs to be solved for the customer and sees why it's important for the customer. So my challenge always is to slow down the team so that we spend the time to understand the customer problem that needs to be solved and why it's important. That's how we. I start going through this. And the next step is you always have teammates that want to go with speed, there's a bias for action. They think they know all the answers right away. And so slowing them down and saying, all ideas are great. And, and I walk through and make sure that I have everyone on the team have their voice heard and their idea. And I, and I promise them that even if the idea is not fully baked, It's okay, bring it up so somebody else will have an idea to actually perfect it, and it becomes real. Now I've built the confidence of the whole team. We'll see the problem the same way. Everybody has a voice in this journey, and then we start talking about how are we going to evaluate all of these ideas. Let's, Let's put down all the criteria that we'll use to actually make sure that we can actually go through each one of the ideas in front of us and evaluate them on their merits. And the ones that have shortcomings, let's write them down because they might be better tomorrow. And then I'll I'll say the last thing probably is that diversity is very important because it brings different ideas to the table. And we're not sub-optimizing for one set of customers. It's, it's the whole yeah. universe. And so getting those ideas from all over the spectrum helps because it brings some element that wasn't thought about, right? And it's like, hey, I've got this. It could work here in this geographical location. And here's what would make it actually worthwhile for that customer. So that's important. But the other thing I'll, I'll, I'll bring back to the table, the network is solid. You got to build that network. Because it really gives you the, sh- you know, when I don't know how to solve something, I can go to Joe. You know, I call her the great one, and she'll help <laughs> me out. And, and I have an open and candid conversation saying, you know, I don't know how to do this. Well, yep. what are your thoughts? Yep. And she laid it on the table. So um, Stephanie will come into my office anytime, mm-hmm. and tell me, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, how do we make it perfect? And we just brainstorm. That's how we do it.
1: Yeah. Now, I, and to pull that thread, I will say if you do not have a network, how many of you know what we talk about when we say network or a board of directors or mentors? Do you know what we're talking about? Okay, there's not enough hands up in the room. That makes me a, a little bit reserved. So, when I talk about a mentor, this is someone that's given you some advice of things that they've gone through in their life, right, or career, et cetera. Someone that is a coach, they're helping bring things that are within you out to another view or veranda for you to be able to see. I have tools in my kit that I can be able to accomplish my visions, my dreams, whatever they may be. Your board of directors, you should not be the smartest one in your room or in your space your board is laid out of people that allow you to dream bigger or allow you to define, okay, what, what is my next roadmap for the next couple of years or three years or whatever? And they also allow me to have fun and, and laugh or whatever that might be. Your, your board of directors are different in different spaces. I'll put it that way. So what Chris was referring to, we we all have used each other in different platforms to say like, I have this PRFAQ or this document that I have to get through. And I know it's a good idea, but I need to bounce it off someone that I know will help me be an ally or they know who to go to for me to be able to get my idea out on the table. I can give you a flat out example. I'll never forget when I came into Amazon and I hadn't really written technically deep, deep, deep uh, as much as I thought. Until I wrote my first document, it was red, red everywhere. And I was like, is this a compliment? Uh, And they're like, oh, no, it's good. And I'm like, "Mm, hold on. So I knew someone that I used to work with had been at the company for about four years. And they're like, yeah, that is a lot of red. Okay, let's change your lingo. Let's change to what Amazon actually understands versus aerospace, where I came out of. And so once I did that, then it became, oh, That's what you were talking about we we didn't understand what you meant by this term or what you meant by versus giving that feedback up front that's a whole nother conversation but i got someone that i trusted and knew to help me bridge the gap of this is a good idea of what we need to go after for the next level of innovation but i couldn't get my message across so that person became on my board and so i say that to you of it doesn't matter how much you want to innovate or try to even get an idea through. If you're not thinking about what you need for your, your day-to-day, your week-to-week, whatever that might be, well, you're here in a space that is powerful, all of you. And I hope that you take away from this wonderful weekend that you've got a couple more people that you didn't know before they should be, at least within your circle. They may become on your board. You'll have to be the decider for that. But that way, you can understand, well, what are, what are the tools that I need for innovation or invention or simplification in my space and beyond?
2: i like to say one more thing here. You all got me thinking, so now yeah. now <laughs> we are into the conversation, I am now thinking. You know, I like to give people um, things to think about because, You know, like, you don't really know me. You just see me up here talking, and and I don't really know you. But here's something I want you to really think about. When's the last time you failed? And how'd you feel about it? Who has not failed in the last week? All right, only one arm, a couple arms up. (laughs) So here's the thing. Um, Oh, in the back, too. So here's something to understand about failure. Failure is probably one of the best things that can ever happen to you. It, it, when you're working at your job or if you're exercising. You, you don't get stronger unless you exercise your muscles to failure so your body knows how to grow them. When you fail, there's something that pops right out in front of you. What you did wrong. If you're only getting, like, if you have children and you're just telling them, you're, you're great, you're great, you're great and they turn into monsters, you're like, what did we do wrong? Well, you didn't tell them that they were bad. You don't have to yell at them. You don't have to do anything else to them, but you can say, hey, Don't color my walls. That's not a good idea. That's awful. Makes me sad. And the same thing with failure at work as well. Uh, Whenever you go into a project and you you say you're going to do this, and you come up a little bit short, but only a little bit short. And you're like, oh, I failed. I did not get it right. But what did you learn? Oh, you learned how to start a project. You learned how to complete the project. You learned what you should not have done. And then hopefully you don't do it again. So understand that embracing failure as a as something that allow you to grow is probably one of the best things that you can do, yeah. and then also something else. And I'm gonna put a disclaimer on what I'm getting ready to say because if you if you hear what I'm getting ready to say and you don't take it in out of the context of this room, you're be like that guy is an awful person. <laughs> disclaimer <laughs> one. Um, learn how to um, learn how to not listen to the word no and turn it into a not right now. Because sometimes you're going to ask things at work and someone's going to say no. And really, you don't know why they said it. Maybe they just didn't want to talk to you or maybe they don't think you're ready or maybe the world is not ready. So another thing is you have to learn how to embrace the term no. No does not mean to stop. It means to maybe you need to reassess. And now you understand why I put disclaimer in front of it because in any other circumstance, no means no. But in the the professional setting, you're going to hear a lot of no's. You're going to hear a lot of you failed. You're going to hear a lot like things that make you sad. Take those things, and that's actually what makes you grow. And I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself. Um, I've been doing what is called cloud stuff since the 90s. I've done everything up in what you would call the cloud since the 90s. And um, if I would have listened to people saying, oh, this is impossible, I work for a company not too far from here that invented a way to sell software online for people to use in the facility that's not on their own. Have Anyone here heard of something called (laughs) SaaS? Yeah, we invented that in Annapolis, Maryland in the early 2000s. No one was doing it before us. Maybe one company, but really, I was on the team that invented SaaS. Had we listened to that, we wouldn't have Amazon, because guess what? We're almost all SaaS at least on the, on the Amazon Web Services side, we are definitely all SaaS. Inside the company, we're all SaaS, all these big companies, software as a service. And had you said, no, uh, yeah, you, you're right, we can't do this, this is impossible. So also re- just remember that people aren't inherently evil, they're just not inherently pro you. And you learn this by the psychology of children. Um, if you watch children play, they always fight and quarrel because children are very self-centric. And you know we are actually built to optimize for ourselves. Being able to help others is a learned trait, and a lot of people don't realize this, but a lot of us learn it. So realize that sometimes when things don't go your way, it's not because someone was against you, it's just because they are very pro-them. So that means that sometimes you have to get people the benefit of the doubt. Now, if they call you out your name, say something racist, sexist, xenophobic, or anything like that, you know what? Um, Write them in your dead book and then move on. But um, for any other case, though, um, what you need to do is just realize that people are people. You know, we will do, if I'm falling off, I'm falling off the stage, I might grab somebody so we can fall together. Or maybe they fall instead of me, I don't know. But that's, it's not something we think. It's our autonomic system that actually does that. Um, so just, you know, I just like sharing these things. It's been so long since I've been in front of a crowd. And I have three years of pandemic thoughts that I need to get out of my system. So um, thank you for indulging me.
4: That's Joshua, did you have something? Yeah, I was just gonna. I mean, you you are dropping gems mm-hmm. in terms of like the mentorship piece. And uh, all right, story time. So, speaking of mentors, um, how I got a part of how I got to Amazon was one of my previous mentors worked uh, at a, we were worked at an automotive company, and he was my director then. He left and came to Amazon. The recruiters are calling me like, hey. Uh, I'm like, man, I really like this company. I think I'm going to retire here. And so I (laughs) called him up, and he was like, look, I know you. I know your next five years. I just, I think you should listen to him. I'm like, all right. So I listened to him, and I came to Amazon. He was still my mentor while at Amazon. And he is still my mentor today, and he doesn't work for Amazon. He's on my board of directors for the last 10 years. And some of the early advice that was given to me Alright, uh, earliest piece of advice. I was I was talking to him in a normal mentor mentee conversation, and I was super proud. I couldn't like I talked to him like once a quarter, maybe once every other month, uh, and I, I had all of my goals uh, that you know my manager gave to me. Like, hey, you gotta have this cost, and you gotta have this safety record. And I'm in there, and I'm, I'm like, hey, this is my safety record. This is my cost, and I hit them all. And he was like, like oh, you want a cookie? <laughs> like <laughs> hey, he seriously said that. He said this is. He said this, and he got on his soapbox. And he's like, this is where you, us, we fail, right? We just check the boxes. And Josh, you cannot just check the boxes. You can't. Or you're going to always be in that seat. And he said, he asked a similar question. He said, when the last time you failed? When the last time you did something and it didn't work and it stung a little bit, hurt your ego a little bit. And I'm like, well... I don't know when the last time I failed because you know I was checking boxes. I was doing I was doing a good job, right? Um, and what came from that though is like I really took that advice and I and I started to do like some risky stuff. Like all right, I'm gonna do this and it's probably not gonna work, but let me see. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them didn't, and I learned from it. The and his other point was while you still can. And so I was early in my career. And I could make some decisions. Those are called two-way doors. We, we, we call those two-way doors. Like, It was bad, but you can open the door and come back. Um, and I made a lot of, not a lot. You don't want to get into a point where you're making a lot of bad decisions. Uh, but I made a couple bad ones, and the big thing is I learned from it. right? And so it set me up for that next thing that I was going to do. And one of those got like a lot of visibility, and it was a, it was a rock star project. Uh, and it got me a promotion. I think because of that, because I went out and took a couple of risks, and I, I failed, and then I learned something from it, now I'm at a point when it's, it asks, what are the challenges that you that you face when attempting to innovate? It's, uh, it's the scope and the scale, and Brian talked about a little bit, like, the decisions that you can make while you're entry level, a couple of years in your career, and as you go up, those things change. Now, that very same project, it's like full circle. One of the projects that I was doing when I was on the, like, an uh, operations manager was trying to change, you know, like scheduling and how things, how, how the flow of people came to work and left. Uh, and I learned a lot from that. And now I'm put in the same position where we have to. We're, we're coming up with new ways and new new labor, like you can pick your own shift and things like that. A wrong decision today messes up the lives for like twenty thousand people, right? And so now it's like these are one-way doors, definitely. Uh, a bad decision you can end up you know like it's just a it's a it's a bad thing for a lot of folks Uh, and so like take take what they said though and like get that mentor that's gonna challenge you Uh, and you know if they're like oh good job you did everything you were supposed to do like they're not raising the bar for you right there they're they're, they're they're like a sponsor a coach you know good job good job like you want somebody who's gonna challenge you and and take that to the next level because I think I could have left that conversation. This was a, we call them crucible moments. This was a crucible moment for me where I could have left that conversation um, with a big old smile on my face. Like, yeah, my mentor really likes what I'm doing. My manager likes what I'm doing. But I didn't. Like he I walked out of there like, I can't believe it. I just, I just did everything I was supposed to do. And he was like, all right, that's gosh. He like got mad at me, like a, and I was like, man, this is crazy. Um, so take those, take those gems, I, I think that was that's very, very important, and your mentor is going to learn you and know you and know what you can do. And a lot of times, you don't know what you can do, but someone who's already been down that road, they say like, oh, I see a lot, I know what you can do, and you're not fulfilling your potential.
3: I know we have to get to Q&A, but one point I want to make, we're talking a lot about mentors, and they're great, but we all need sponsors. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? What's the difference? So- so this is my, this is Tia's philosophy. You don't have to agree with it. Um, mentors advise, sponsors act. I use simple ways to describe so I can remember it. So to Josh's point, um, his mentor was great, gave him sage wisdom, pushed him. Now you need somebody who is going to create those opportunities and avenues for you. Quick story, and I'll shut up. Diane Lai, who was one of the only women founder's inspirations behind AWS. She worked for Jeff Bezos. He writes about her, he talks about her. She ended up being my boss at Capital One. It was the hardest job, but most rewarding job I ever had. Now, I could easily say she was a mentor, but she has been my biggest sponsor in my entire career. I became a mom under her, cried to her, like, what am I going to do? My career's over. And she was like, no, you'll figure it out like you do everything else. Got two promotions when I worked for her. Had a phenomenal offer at Chase to lead all of AI and ML for the Consumer Community Bank. I'm like, do I take it? She was like, well, I can give you this offer or you can take it. You got to decide. She didn't try to hold me back. Long story short, when I hit her like, hey, I had this offer from AWS. What do you think? She put in a call and I didn't even know it. And, you know, she put in a call to say, listen, if you're going to offer her something, offer her the right thing, because this is who she is and this is what she is now. And this is where she'll be in three years and five years. And what you don't want to do is waste her time and your time investing her the right way. And when I came in, I found out about that. And I'm like, she did what? Yeah. And so she, yes, yeah, she keeps it real with me. She, she gave me the only mediocre rating I've ever gotten in my career, my first year working for her. But it was the best thing she could have done. And then the next year I got a promotion, and immediately after that I got got another promotion. And you don't hear that at Capital One. I'm not talking about to, like, senior manager or something, right? I'm talking big promotions. But it was her push and her support and the way she's my sponsor now. Those people will pound the tables. You don't even know they're your sponsors, but they will create avenues because they're willing to take a risk on you because your brand stands firm.
0: Gems, just dropping gems. Thank you so much. So I'm not, I'm going to stop asking questions. And now this is your opportunity to ask the panel some questions.
4: How's it going? My name is Andrew Lofton. My question is for Brian.
5: I wrote down the four steps for problem solving. Um, Do you have any examples that differentiate having strategies versus the tactics? Yes, I do.
2: OK, what is the difference between strategies and tactics? So um, I'll give you one, a left field one. Um, we're, playing, we're playing some kind of war games, and you need to capture this side. We decide if you can capture this base, then we will have a much more easier time to win the game. That's a strategy, the actual capturing. We need to capture this base. Now, how we capture it, well, we got to cross the river. No, we'll go around the river. No, we'll actually use air. These are the tactics. Tactics are what you do, and strategies are kind of why you do it. But really, that's the difference. Um, one is, one is um, actually in for business speak, one is looking down. So if you're, if you're a manager, um, tactics are what the people that work for you do, and strategies are how you organize the people that work for you. And a lot of people can conflate those two things, but it's very important to know the difference between a strategy and a tactic. Uh, I am, that, that would be the uh, concise answer for that.
5: And Brian, can I add just a little bit to what you just said? So, v- very good question. I think in terms of models in my, in my mindset, strategy equals vision plus the plan to deliver. That's the formula, vision plus the plan to deliver. Tactics, just do it. No thought process, just go out, you know, hail Mary, try, try and fail, fail many times, iterate, iterate, that's what, that's what tactics are. Is that, is that helpful? And thank
0: you for being the first person to ask a question. So I have an echo dot for you.
2: See? Hey. Put your neck out there next time. <laughs> Don't mind if I do.
1: <laughs> uh, my name is Ogechi Singh. So with everything that you guys have experienced, I'm pretty sure that at some point in time, you've gotten stuck. So what advice do you have for when you get stuck? So. <laughs> There's, I mean, they're stuck on different levels. Uh, one of the things that come to mind for me is there's stuck from a personal aspect of, okay, I feel like my career has hit a little bit of a plateau or I'm, I'm getting comfortable, maybe a little too comfortable in what I'm doing. Um, and then there's other spaces of stuck from, okay, do, am I in the right mindset? Like what's going on in the, the near term, near space? And so I would say, at least for the near term, I try to make sure I'm operating in a holistic measure, meaning how am I connecting physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally to my my day to day, my week to week? All of them don't equal each other all the time. It's how do I make sure that I find that uh, that space to tap into those areas so that I can then think about innovative or creative spaces for me to be able to operate in my day to day, and then when I'm as far as a career space, that comes back to my board. My board is made up of folks inside the company, outside the company, uh, peer relationships. It's not big, but these are spaces that I go to to f- make sure that I understand this is where I want to go for my my space or career for myself. And I want to do it strategically, not just tactically and just going doing stuff, because you can do stuff and it doesn't matter in the long run or it may not have as much of an impact, I should say, in the long run for yourself. So that's, that's where I, I try to break, uh, whether it's glass ceilings or barriers for, from myself to make sure that I'm tapping into my network, um, but also having that reflection space because I ask the question of why am I doing what I'm doing and how do I ensure I don't get in that rut uh, again? Um, and so for me, the other part I'll say is that recentering regrounding so engineering is one side of me music is my other side i find that space to uh, i would say inspirational music and, and finding where my voice is in that space so that's that's some of the actual regrounding steps that i take get yeah. more sleep uh, get, get more, more sleep, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean so you we we chuckle but sleep is powerful mm-hmm. because so when to your point of uh, how do they all link to each other? If you're, if you're tired and you have a presentation to give the next day, you're not going to be on your A game. Or later that week, you're not going to be able to think about, oh, I actually have to lead a strategy conversation, but I don't have the energy that I need. Um, or there's things going on in life. Life happens, period. It's not I'm on all the time. You may have just, I'll give my own uh, testimonial of, I started at Amazon in March 2nd? 2020, I had no idea a pandemic was getting ready to introduce itself uh, in a crazy way. And I left from a space where I was comfortable, that I knew what I was doing, I knew the area, I knew my product, and I was starting from scratch. And so to come into that space of, oh, I'm in the middle of a pandemic, I'm still trying to build my network, I'm trying to do all this virtual, and then there's social unrest, I hit my wall. And sometimes people say, oh, you hit your wall after you know, a couple years. No, I hit it within three months. And I said, did I make the right choice? I don't know what's going on. So I politely went to my board and said, hold on. Something's, something is, is not right in this space. So I can't even think about creating a new team, because I was a team of one, and they asked me to come and actually develop a new team for ergonomic innovation. How am I going to do that? And I'm stuck. Well, and so that, again, it took for me to recenter myself and then understand that problem space of what do we have at the company? What is it that we need to actually work on so that Josh and the crew can understand what our robotic technology can actually support for their, their day-to-day in the years to come? So it, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Please don't tell yourselves that. It's not an overnight process. This is something that it just continues to cycle for us to understand what do we need to uh, actually thrive in this space.
4: Yeah, I was going to quickly add to that. Um, I think it was insightful when you when you feel stuck, like the times that when I think back, like when I felt stuck, it's when I had complete competency of my role, right? Like when you first get the job, you don't know it. You're learning it. My gap, like my fire is still lit. My internal <laughs> flame is just going. I'm like learning stuff left and right. They hit a point where it's like I know all this stuff. I haven't learned anything in like months. Right. That's when I feel stuck. And then it, it feels like the room starts to close in on me. At that point, it's like, man, this is I got to get out of here. Or I got or I have to do something to pour some some fuel on the flame to like, how do you keep your, your internal flame lit? That's when I feel stuck. And so that point is, you know, those are very candid conversations I'm having with my manager. Like, look, I'm hitting I'm hitting all the goals. Right. Like, what, what do I got to okay. do? What's next? How, do, how can I continue to be challenged? That's a hard, as a manager, that's a, that's a tough question. You're gonna leave that like, I gotta figure something out or I might lose this person. And if they're hitting all their goals, you want them on your, on your team, right? And so think about that and just uh, you know, have those conversations.
1: Hi, I'm Shadane and um, I'm gonna make it pretty simple and easy for you guys. It's about your professional development. Have any of you ever felt like you don't have enough time or there are certain things, like certain goals, where you want to be in your career, and you just feel like you're at an age where you should have already been there five years ago. And how did you get over that challenge?
2: I am 46 years old, and I do not have a degree, not one, nam one degree. And do I feel insignificant? And do I feel like I do not know all the time? Yes. So you know what I do. I read, I read, I read, I talk, I talk, I talk, I read, I read, I read, I go with practice, 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 practice. And then when I'm done, I'm like, "Oh, you know what? I don't know what large language models are." Yeah. And then I go, read, 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 practice, 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 practice. Before, I think I said, remember that thing, that feeling about feeling uncomfortable? Embrace it. It's not a problem. That feeling uncomfortable is what keeps you from being stuck. That feeling uncomfortable is what actually forces you to go learn more. I want you, the the moment you're like, oh, I think I know everything, is the moment that you have failed yourself and everyone around you. So the fact that you're asking this question means that you're on a path. You will never know everything you want to know, and that's fine. But whenever you have that itch, just put in an hour or 10 minutes or something. You know, Use Audible. I do. I, I can't read. I have ADHD, and I just can't sit down and read. But I can listen to a book. I can listen to an 11-hour book, and I'll just drive up and down the street. So, you know, just continue trying. That's all I will say about that.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Naomi Turner, and I'm from Morgan State University. I like, how Josh, <laughs> I like how Josh brought up the fact of you can't just check the boxes and having someone that challenges you. So sometimes you might not have, like, a manager that challenges you or people on your team. How do you identify problems and create solutions for those problems like within the workspace to further develop it? And maybe like what is your actual process like? And that's for anybody.
4: Yeah, I can start with, uh, and I'm, I've been going through this like iterative phases every couple of years. And I get to that point, I'm like, all right, well, I, I did what I came to do, right? And so what's next? Uh, and we kept on talking about the customers. I found that to be the easiest thing. Like, all right, let me define a customer and figure out what their biggest problem is. And then I'm gonna go solve it, even if it's outside of my scope. Or I'm gonna assemble the team now, so like, all right, I'm gonna put a rockstar team together. And so I find myself now being a lot of the, the coordinator, like, all right, I got a big problem, I'm gonna go pick you and you and you for my team, because I know these things about you. Um, and so if you're the person that is, uh, like, looking for that next big thing, like really, truly look at, and maybe this is an Amazon thing, because we, we we do obsess over our customers. But it really is like, all right, pick a customer. And then really understand what their problem statements are. Even if it's not in your lane. Yeah. You can be the catalyst that started. And maybe you, you come up, I get a lot of bad ideas. They're not bad ideas. I get a lot of ideas pitched to me. <laughs> Listen, I get a lot of ideas pitched to me that they got something there, right? Because they started with a customer. They don't know about the rest of the customers and they're talking about their specific customer and their one demographic, right? Um, But what they're bringing up is a real pain point. And there's something there that I can take that and and mold it, right? And so that person that brought that up, I'm gonna put them on that team because they were passionate about it. Maybe they weren't even the best like from a competency level they didn't have the most experience on this topic but they really wanted to be a part of this solution and they're the one who found the problem for them so they get a, they get a seat at the table and i think that is that's important and like understanding the customer and figuring out what their problem statement is it opens a lot of doors for you
3: specifically for you the feedback i would give you is as you think about entering the workforce yeah, just as much as you are going through your interview process they're interviewing you you interview them Yeah, don't go work for someone who's okay with the status quo, Mm -hmm. because that will not push you, especially where you are in your career, where you're leaving college and you'll take your first big job. So this is a pivotal point for you. I learned that it's not about the title, but it's about the person. So is that person going to pull something out of me that I don't know how to unearth? Is that person going to give me the rope to hang myself, but then not let me kill myself and be there for me? Like, what do I need at that point in my career? And can that person give me that 1,000%? Can they believe in me? Can they support me? In addition, I don't know who brought up the whole network thing. Like, that's a whole art. We could have a whole section on networking. But then you'll build your network along this journey. People you went to school with, people you interned with, people you interviewed with, and maybe you didn't take that job, but you still connected with them on LinkedIn, et cetera. You'll build this network. So if you get into a position or maybe the manager isn't what you thought he or she was going to be, you think through that network, and even if it's side of desk, like Josh is talking about for you, but slightly different because he's in a leadership position, even if it's side of desk, or even if it's something you're reading, or even if you're toying, or- toying around with chat GPT or something, and you're like, yeah, what's next? Just continue to invest and leverage that network to bounce ideas off of you and challenge you and push you. But that your first manager, like outside of internships, that sort of stuff, okay. will be pivotal to you. So just be be okay. super be obviously you gotta take a job, but don't shy away from being picky. Yeah. Okay.
0: Thank us. you so much everyone for coming. We are out of time. So thank you so much. Thank you the panelists. Thank you so much for being here.